Hi, this is Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast. Welcome to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. I used to produce and edit the Google Teacher Podcast, hosted by Matt Miller and Casey Bell. You can enjoy the podcast once again, and be sure to visit the new website, chrisnessy.com slash googleteacherpod. Please note that any of the show note links mentioned in the episodes are no longer valid, but if you go to chrisnessy.com, dot com slash Google Teacher Pod, you can search the archive and check out the show notes for each and every episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Thank you for your continued support, and may the Googles be with you. This is Lindsay and Kathy of Kindergarten Kiosk, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Just like the show you're listening to right now, the opinions expressed are those of individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And now the learning begins in three, two, one. Welcome to episode 83 of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast, your source for the latest Google for Education news, tips, tricks, and ideas you can use in class tomorrow. I'm Matt Miller from Ditch That Textbook. And I'm Casey from Shake Up Learning. Casey Bell. I forgot to say my last name. <laughs> I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> hey, y'all, you'll know I'm Casey. Oh, yeah. In this episode, we are talking to the brilliant Joe Marquez, who has shared online some really great tips for helping us use Google Sites and make some templates that can be shared. So can't wait to share that with you. Of course, we've got some Google News and updates, and y'all, the updates just keep piling in. So we've got some great stuff to share with you. And of course, some feedback and mailbag questions from our listeners and a couple of things from the blogosphere. So you ready to do this, Matt? I'm ready. Let's do it. So let's kick this episode off with some news and updates, and we've got some really good ones for you. And the first one I wanted to share with you has to do with live closed captions. Now, not too long ago, we were introduced to live closed captions in Google Slides. And so whenever you would present a slide presentation, you could turn on these live closed captions, and Google Slides would use your microphone. And in real time take your spoken voice and transfer it into closed captions that would show up at the bottom of the screen. They've taken it a step further now. And so now closed captions have come to Google Hangouts Meet. So Hangouts Meet is a a video calling platform. I think Meet is supposed to kind of take the place of Hangouts whenever whenever they end Hangouts as it is right now. And now they've added the ability to have that, um, that closed captioning available just in a video call. And so you'll see it at the bottom of the screen once you turn it on. And, um, it basically, it shows because the, the program can tell whose microphone the, speaking is coming through, it will show a little icon in your name next to the part that you're saying. So for anyone who has, um, 
you know, hearing disabilities or um, just needs a little bit of that extra support, A, you get to see what's being said and B, you get to see who is saying it. So this is a really, really cool option. I think that a lot of people will really appreciate. Uh, currently, it is only available in English. So, um, you know, maybe eventually we'll get other languages, but English is it right now. And that should be starting to roll out. In fact, it should be starting to roll out now. I haven't seen it yet, but um, anytime, maybe in the next week or two, as of the release of this episode, um, hopefully you should be able to see that cool new feature. That's awesome. I love how Google's giving us more accessibility features like that. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit and share something that a lot of you will probably appreciate. And Google has been having their big conference called Google Cloud Next. Uh, and at the time that you're listening to this, it would have been last week. So tons of announcements and things are coming out of this big conference. This is, you know, when the nerds unite. <laughs> right. And people like me get super excited about all the new things that are coming. So one thing that they announced is that they are going to embed office editing inside docs, sheets, and slides. And that means Microsoft Office files will work inside your Google suite. So inside your, you know, when you open them from Google Drive, you'll be able to edit and collaborate on these files like you do in Google Files. So what's what's changing is that you will then be able to see a little little icon next to your title that will say what type of file type it is. So like a docx or whatever it is that you're using. And this is great. So many of us were coming from using Microsoft Office before we switched to Google. So I know many of you like myself, I still have a ton of Microsoft Office files. I upload them all into Google Drive and I can edit them. So in the past, I have been using the Office compatibility app in Chrome. It's an extension that would allow us to do some of these things. It would allow me to open it in Google Docs and edit it and keep the file type. So what's going to happen now, if you have that Chrome extension and your admins turn on this feature, you might run into some issues. So what the article says is you'll want to disable that office editing in Chrome extension so that this can do its, its fabulous work for you. So, um, so there's some information in the show notes with the link to this update. So especially if you happen to be a admin of your domain, you're going to want to take a look at this because this can be super helpful, but you want to make sure that you're ready to go. And the other piece of this is it's going to start rolling out in the middle of April. So if you don't have it yet, don't worry. Again, this is just one of those things that's coming and it's coming to all G Suite editions. So you should see it in both your personal account and G Suite for Education accounts once your your domains have enabled it. Now, look at Google playing nice with Microsoft, you know, getting along in the sandbox and not throwing sand on each other. Oh, no. Did you see that comment on Twitter? No, I missed it. About the playground? Oh, I no. should have looked it up. I think I copied. It said something about Matt that um, the playground is never um, calming to teachers or something. Oh, huh. <laughs> that's such a good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Said, so, and I, I had a response about good old Jimmy Matt in that one. So. Yeah. Yep. That's right. Yep. It's one of those things we do for the love of our students. Yes. So. Yes. All right. Very good. The next one I want to share with you has to do with Gmail. And 
We've started getting smart compose suggestions in our Gmail. If you use Gmail, you've probably seen the little light gray words that pop up while you're typing. And I use this fairly often. I think that um, Gmail's smart compose gets me. You know, I think that the, it it's starting to really understand who I am and what I want to say. And so uh, whenever it gives me one of those little suggestions and I like it, I just hit the tab key whenever I'm typing. Or if I'm using my mobile device, I'll just swipe it into reality instead of just as a suggestion. And that has worked in the body of our um, emails. But now we're getting an extra addition to Smart Compose, and that is the subject line of our emails. So maybe try this out and see how it works at some point is type a message without like a, an email in your Gmail, type an email without putting a subject line in it, which is hard for me because it's almost like I do the email address and then the subject and then the email, just like habitually. But if you skip the subject line, type out the email, then pop up there to the subject line and see if it'll suggest something for you. Now, of course, this is yet another one of those that is going to be rolling out. It shows that rapid release uh, domains are going to start getting it on April 4th. And then the uh, the regular domains are going to start getting it on April 23rd. So, and again, remember on those dates, it takes up to 15 days sometimes for those to roll out. So it could be mid-May by the time you get this, but once you get it, I don't know. You'll have to check and see if this is something that you use. I think, you know, for me, for instance, it's not probably going to be that much of a game changer because I already think about what my subject line is going to be. I don't know. Casey, do you struggle with trying to figure out what the subject line of your emails are going to be or does that kind of come naturally to you? Well, I'm with you. I I start typing it first just yeah. because I hate the reminder. Do you want to leave this subject blank? And, yeah, you know, those yeah. types of things. So I don't know. It would take a different habit or maybe when I'll have to look when I open up the compose window, maybe on my phone or something, if it will mm-hmm. prompt prompt me first to add the content, it could be useful. But no, I don't really struggle, but I'm kind of a wordy person. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> hey, but I get that. any I I love the um the smart compose features in the body of the email that is saving me tons of time. So I just need mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. rethink how I'm filling out that subject line. Yeah. There you go. Okay, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and share a blog post from the Keyword blog, which is loaded with some updates, y'all. So again, most of these updates were announced at Google Cloud Next. And um, so I'm going to skim over them. Some of them we've actually hit on already today, but I just want you to know this is a fantastic blog post if you really want to see what things are coming and specifically that affect educational technology. So they named the title of this article, Exploring New possibilities in cloud-based educational technology. So there's some great tips in here. So of course, we had the Hangouts Meet update that Matt mentioned with the ability to get those captions. And we've had now for a little while the closed captions in Google Slides. So that's a big accessibility feature that's really going to help all learners, I think, The other thing was the ability to add audio into slides that we announced in the last episode of the Google Teacher Tribe. So really excited to have that ability rolling out to insert audio. So if you didn't listen to last week's episode, go back. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, shame, shame. If you didn't listen Mm -hmm. to episode 82, we did talk about how to insert those audio files 
Now, fostering better collaboration, of course, the office editing option that I mentioned earlier, we've got um, some updates to the Hangouts chat and the way that it works in Gmail, as well as Hangouts Meet on Jamboard. So they are Hmm. mashing some things up. It's going to let educators deliver lessons remotely to students who are unable to come to school. Okay, so if you're not jumping on the Jamboard wagon just yet, you may want to start paying attention. They're also announcing some updates to Google Voice. So it's going to be an add-on subscription. I'm kind of hanging back to see how this works, if this is something schools are going to have to pay for, because it was a little unclear. And I used Google Voice for a long time, but it definitely has been sort of at the bottom of the list, it seemed like, for updates. So it wasn't really changing a lot. So I'm going to be interested to see how Google Voice comes in, because I think it can help teachers a lot. And then there's some boosting productivity updates like um, schedule send in Gmail. I think we mentioned that in the last episode as well. And you'll also see some of the the other things that they announced at Google Cloud Next. So um, G Suite Enterprise for Education, if you happen to be an admin, you may want to pay attention to more of that. That is sort of like the paid add-on to get some more features in G Suite for Education. But anyway, this post is loaded with some really cool updates that I think teachers are going to love, and it's really going to help the learners in our classroom. Remember, don't get overwhelmed by all of this stuff. Just kind of take it in and figure out which one or two things you really want to dig into. But if you're like us, then you like to geek out about things and know what's going on. I don't think I was breathing when I announced all that. No, I think that was like all <laughs> was like, in one big... In this? And this? Oh, and this? Yeah, that was kind of... Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Hashtag nerd. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Big deep breath. Catch your breath. You're going to need it for the rest of the episode. Okay. If you want to see the link or get the links or see more information about anything we've talked about so far or for the rest of the episode, head to our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 83. Hey, Tribe. I am super excited to welcome back our guest on the show today, Joe Marquez, who also was on a previous episode in episode 24, going back to the early days of the Tribe, where we were talking about engaging science students. And, you know, I don't know how many of you follow Joe on Twitter or online, but he has some amazing ideas that he wants to share with you today. So welcome to the show, Joe. Casey, Matt, thank you so much for having me back. And, you know, no, knowing how far the the tribe has progressed uh, and thinking back, wow, was it really way back in episode 24 that I'd been on? I'm just super excited to be back here uh, to talk with you, too, uh, because you guys are like uh, my friends. We were in the GTA Austin, Texas together back in uh, 2014. <laughs> we, we, like, you know what? We, we broke. We broke that program. They had to reinvent it after we went through. I uh, just super excited to be back with you guys. Yeah, it's fantastic. So I was really inspired when Matt and I were planning episode 82. We were talking about a question that had popped up on Twitter about how to create Google Sites templates. You know, Matt was copied, I was copied, and I'm thinking, I don't know how to do it. They haven't given us the the way to do it yet. And then I just keep following this thread. And Joe's like, well, try this. And then this. He's like, oh, wait, I just did a, a whole YouTube tutorial on it. Hey, here you go. Here's the answer magic 
brilliance is like, oh my gosh, Matt, we have to have him back on to talk about this because this is a brilliant idea. And so many people are now using the new Google sites and they want to do things like e-portfolios and set up templates for students to use. And you found a way to do it. So thank you. First of all, it is an amazing idea. Well, of course. The thing about it is it's like it's kind of like a no brainer that when you have a Google site that there should be a way to easily make a copy right without allowing people to go inside and make that template. And because the new Google sites are made directly in Google Drive, I mean, it's, it's easy to think, hey, we can do the, the delete, edit and then create copy hack that we do for all the other Google Drive documents. But it doesn't work. And. I had been working with a nonprofit called Avid on creating uh, digital portfolios for students. And this was a problem that we came across. And the, the, the problem is that when you're trying to kind of create this new movement, right, the, the idea that students um, need to be able to organize their digital files in a fashion that best suits them, that best suits their learning style, that allows that differentiation process to happen on the student end. You, you want to make sure things are going smoothly. You don't want there to be any hiccups. Um, you know, as, as I've gone through and I've talked to a lot of teachers, one of my mantras is first use inspires future use, right? If they're going to try a new thing and it doesn't quite work out the, the way they want the first time, that's kind of, it's going to have that bad taste in their mouth throughout. And so we really needed to figure out a way to kind of smooth the process out. And I think like a lot of people, what we did is we created a template and we, we, we made it as anybody with the link can edit and just hoped nobody would edit the master template. And as you can probably imagine, that didn't always go well. And, and, so, and if you tell teachers to do that in their classroom with their seventh or eighth grade rambunctious students, it's going to get all cattywampus right up in that class. And so the teachers are going to be like, well, I'm going to wait until there's a way. Let's just sort of brainstorm real quick some ways that this could work, because really what we're talking about here is using these templates to create, you know, to create websites. And for us to create websites, we need to have reasons for students to create websites. So just off the top of your head, and then Casey and I, we may follow up with some things of our own afterwards, but um, what are some ways that you could potentially see this being used in the classroom? Well, so, so for me, it, it is the collection of work because when, when, we're, when we're handing out work through Google Classroom, the, the teacher can now organize by topics, but there's really no way for the student to organize their work in Google Classroom. And then in Google Drive, there is the, you know, there's always that problem of things are everywhere. Like I can't even organize my Google Drive. How am I going to expect a 12-year-old to be able to organize their Google Drive? And so the, the idea of the trapper keeper came to mind, right? Like remember back in the eighties where you had that trapper keeper um, and you organized it. And, and I thought to myself, what is, what is the purpose of a physical binder in general? Right. And, and I said, well, the, the purpose is collection, reflection, and recollection. That's basically it. There needs to be a place to collect work. There needs to be a place to reflect on that work. And then when you're ready to take your exam, a place to recollect that knowledge at a moment's notice. And so that's why I always found that the eBinder uh, was a perfect place to do it. And Google Sites is the greatest platform to do it in. Uh, but there's a lot of different things that needs to happen for that to occur, namely the template gallery, like the old sites used to have. Being able for the teacher to kind of create that skeleton for the student uh, and then allow the students to then make it their own as long as that kind of skeleton stays intact uh, for easy review. And so for me, I think that is one of the most important ways 
to do it as well. And then also, because the parents can't join our Google Classroom, I think Google Sites is perfect for that parent window uh, into the Google Classroom. Um, if, if you link your Google Classroom calendar directly into your Google Site, it automatically updates everything you're doing in your classroom. So you have that instant parent communication right there. And as you were talking about that, another way I could see this working is if we've got a template for students to create something that they want to present. You know, a lot of times we think about doing presentations on something like Google Slides. And a lot of time it takes the form of let's do a presentation in front of class or let's do a screencast video or whatever. Now, if we've got that, that ability to do templates, I mean, we could do it with a blank site in and of itself. But if we can kind of set up, like you said, the skeleton of that for students to be able to demonstrate their learning and create it for a broader audience, now they don't have to spend so much time setting everything up because those instructional minutes are precious and there aren't, you know, there's never, never seems to be enough of them. So if we can reduce the amount of time that kids spend setting those kinds of things up that don't serve our instructional goals and our learning goals and have them doing the things that really do support those learning goals, then all of a sudden, I think we make the most of our minutes. And what you describe, in my mind anyway, seems like a great way to help kids to do that, to set up the skeleton, and then they polish it off with everything that they know and they understand so that they spend their time showing that understanding, showing their mastery, instead of doing the repetitious stuff that isn't in the standards. Does that all make sense? Absolutely. That that scaffold, right? That scaffold yeah. to allow the kids to just instantly attach their knowledge to, it can become incredibly important. Now, I also think there is some value to the students creating a site from scratch, but in everyday practice, when you just want to see that learning outcomes, what do you mm-hmm. what do the students want to show their knowledge with? It's very great to have those templates, those scaffolds uh, to allow the teacher just push them out. I mean, I think the best thing ever would be if you can attach a Google site to Google Classroom and say, make a copy for each student. I think that, uh, I mean, if, if Google could do that, I mean, that would be a game changer. Hold on, I'm, I'm going to call them. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> Get on the Google phone, Casey. One eight, one, yeah, it's like the bat phone. <laughs> Google phone. Da, 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 da. Yes, Commissioner. But yeah, I mean, that, that's the whole thing, Matt. I think you hit it right on the head, too. It, it's it's the, the instructional minutes, right? The instructional minutes of getting things ready to go and set up, those are extremely valuable. Time is one of those commodities that once it's gone, you can never get it back. And once the students are, are stuck or they're struggling just to create something um, instead of showing their knowledge, I, I, I think we're really going down a rabbit hole of, of losing those instructional minutes. Yes. And just like it is important with the the templates that we already push out through Google Classroom, right? When we're creating things in slides or docs or whatever, and we're setting it up, setting the kids up for success, first of all, but also um, saving that valuable instructional time that we keep coming back to and how awesome it is to do that. And one of the things that I learned the hard way in the classroom was that my students were not allowed to touch what I called the bells and whistles until the content was there. Well, if, you know, like fonts and font colors, because I had eighth graders who would spend the entire class period coming up with the perfect font. And, <laughs> and you know, that did not accomplish the goal. So with giving those templates, and especially now in sites, too, because sites is a huge blank slate, and they could spend forever choosing the, the, the best theme and, you know, designing it and making it look just so, so that... um 
it could definitely affect some things. So I, I'm really excited to share how you are making this work because I feel like the big trick here is that sites bef- long ago, sites was just sort of an independent app. And now it's a part of G Suite and it's actually in our drive. Those sites you can search and find in your drive and open from there. And I think that's the big shift in thinking that really opened my eyes to how you made this work. So Joe... Can you finally reveal the big brilliance of how we can make copies of these templates? Absolutely. So once you have created your template, once it's in there, once you made your master copy, you're in your Google Drive, you're going to create a folder. And I would just title it Google Site Templates. And then you're once you've done that, you're going to drag over your Google Site. Um, and then instead of changing the share settings on the site itself, you're going to change the share settings on the folder that the site is now in. And so what you would do is you would go in and you would go to the folder and go change it to uh, anyone with the link can view. And you would share the link of that folder to your students or to your staff or whoever you want to have access to the template. And now they can't delete that site. They can't edit that site, but what they can do because it's in drive, they can right click and make a copy. And so it's, 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 the best way that I have found to allow teachers to create templates, but the master copy will not be adjusted. And I, I've seen some people do this in one way or another with Google Forms. Um, and then I, I've, I've, I think I've heard spatterings about this, uh, about it on Google Sites. I dug in deep for like four hours uh, once I was trying to figure out that answer on, on Twitter. And I was like, okay, it works, but why? I'm, I'm one of those guys. I want to know why it works. I found out that if you go into the site itself, and you go into the share settings on site, it somehow magically created a new option called anybody with the link can view. That's not available right out of Google Sites on its own. The only way you can change the share settings is anyone with the link can edit if you go right into the Google site. So somehow by changing that share setting in the folder, it magically changes the share setting in the Google site. Now, the one thing that I do warn people is if you ever change the share settings directly in your Google site, you're going to lose the ability to be able to share that template out and you won't be able to get it back. And I've tried, I, I once, if I, when I accidentally changed the share settings, it changed it back to anybody with the link can edit. I'm like, well, I don't want that. And so I go, maybe if I remove it from the folder, then drag it back in, it'll automatically change that share setting back. It doesn't work. So it's kind of like a one and done situation for some reason. So once you put your master template in that folder, don't touch it. I mean, you can, you can edit the master template, but do not change the share settings, like leave it there and never touch it again. You know, this kind of reminds me a little bit of the trick that you can use to put a video into a Google drawing, um, which I think you still can't officially do through the menus. But if you um, it's like the idea um, I got this from uh, Sean Fahey uh, on Twitter and uh, he had, he had done this idea before too, where he would go into a slide deck and he would insert a video and then he cut the video or copied the video, came over to the Google drawing and then pasted it. And because that video was hanging out in the clipboard, then he was able to paste it, even though in the, the dropdown menu, it wasn't there. So I think to me anyway, the big overriding lesson from Joe, what you just shared and from that one little tidbit is that sometimes we're able to do things with these Google tools that we didn't realize that we could 
until we try it. I think there's a little bit of trial and error because, you know, whenever you put all of this code together, I mean, you know, you can only imagine the millions and millions of characters of code that go into all of the Google tools that are out there. And whenever all of that stuff is all put together, sometimes there are unique combinations that allow us to do things that we didn't think that we could do until we try them. So, Sometimes a little bit of trial and error uncovers some of these things that you didn't know existed. Yeah, those are like little little Easter eggs, right? That that even maybe Google forgot they left. <laughs> so they're, they're they're fun when you find them. Yes, definitely. Okay, um, I want to also add that the power of where this came from is all about being a connected educator. Right. None yeah. of this would have happened. This question would not have been answered if we had been in our silos and disconnected from each other. So I love the fact, one, that we have the ability to do that. And as a educational community, that everyone is so willing to, you know, ask questions and help each other along the way, because there were several people who jumped in on that thread. We were all it was something a lot of people had faced. And so we all understood it. But um, I love the fact that 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 came together. And even your other example, Matt, that you were sharing and Sean, of course, who we wouldn't know Sean if we weren't connected educators as well. So it just, you know, it shows the power of, of the time that we live in. And I love that we can do that. And I want to encourage everyone who's listening to continue to do that. And if you're not really engaging online to not be afraid to put those questions out there because you might get an answer, an awesome answer, like what Joe gave us today. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we always say this, if, if you know, you're using technology, if you're doing it alone, you're doing it wrong. Right. And, and um, if, if, if I never jumped on Twitter, uh, I never would have joined the Google community and I, I never would have met you two. And, you know, my life would be completely different. So thank you, Twitter. Thank you for changing my life and allowing me to be the best educator that I can. I love that. Absolutely love that. So if you haven't seen Joe's tutorial video, if you want to see exactly what he's talking about, he has created this video that's out there on YouTube. We have a link to it on our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 83. Um, if you aren't following Joe on social media or you haven't checked out any of his resources, I think you're kind of missing out. So uh, Joe, as we wrap this up, can you tell uh, all of the folks in the tribe where they can find you, get connected with you, find any resources that you're creating? Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Marquez seven zero. Uh, you can also follow my blog. Uh, the, uh, it's uh, sonsoftechnology.com. And then we also have a group of educators on Twitter that are part of the SOT community. And um, every two weeks we do a podcast on um, issues that we see in education and just how teachers would approach to solve that problem. And that's our Sons of Technology podcast that we do every two weeks. Thank you so much, Joe, for being on the podcast for the second time. Uh, we we love connecting with you. I hope we get to see each other face-to-face very soon and have a little GTA reunion. But um, no, I would definitely encourage everyone to visit those show notes and watch this tutorial because your mind will be blown. So thank you so much, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. And I can't wait for number three. There's a letter in your mailbox. Hey, you know what? This is all your mail. Hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. You've got mail. All right. It is mailbag time, and we've got a little follow-up to something that we had in last week's mailbag. So last week, we got a message from Blake from Texas, and he was talking about how he wanted to use Google Slides to help drive his class and his plans for his class whenever he wasn't there and there was a substitute teacher. And he wanted to, to make it so that the slides would auto advance 
and students would be able to stay on task for the certain amount of minutes that they were uh, supposed to do an activity. And he wasn't sure how to set it so that the auto advance would advance at different, you know, different amounts of time for each activity. And so we suggested that maybe he set each slide up so that it auto advanced one slide per minute, which by the way, you can do by going to file publish uh, to the web. And um, you can get one of those links that will let it auto advance. Um, and so um, we said, if you want it to be for five minutes, for instance, you just make five duplicate copies of that slide and make each one of them auto advance um, one per minute. So in the old mailbag, we got another message from Blake and Blake says in all caps with four exclamation points. Yes. He says duplicate copies. That's why y'all have a podcast. Genius. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome, Blake. <laughs> and then, see, Blake wasn't the only one that sent us a message about this. We also got a message from Allison. Allison looks like fluette or flute or something from Maine. You finally got she a said, name that was hard to pronounce. That's true. Yeah, yeah. So do you see how I just rolled with that? You know, you, you should be taking notes, Casey. Okay, I will. So, <laughs> so Allison said that um, she's been doing something similar to that. Um, she says she has a system in place to run her classroom schedule, but when I'm gone, I have my laptop with me. So she doesn't have her laptop. She says, I have an iPad that I leave behind for my sub, but I can't get slides to autoplay an inserted video that I'm using as a transition song for my students to know when it's time to rotate in their math stations. She says, do you have any workarounds to get a video to autoplay when presented on slides on an iPad. Now, of course, in my mind, I'm thinking whenever you set up a, a, a Google Slides presentation and you put a video in there and you click on the video, you've got the format button that's there on the toolbar and that gives you some features and being able to autoplay is one of those features. And so, um, you know, that's the first place that my, my brain goes. And I'm sure that Allison has probably thought of that too. So, um, Aside from that, I'm uh, I'm not thinking of anything really that um, comes to mind. So Casey and I were talking about this, and we thought this sounds like the perfect thing to throw out to the tribe. So, so if you've got a workaround or an idea for Allison, it sounds like she wants to do something similar to what Blake did, where she's got these um, she's got these slides kind of auto advancing, and then she wants a um, she wants a video to autoplay, then what can we do? And now this just popped into my head too. Now we have the ability to insert audio files into our slides as well. If this is a, um, a song and the video isn't as important as the audio is, then maybe the audio would work better. This is something I haven't tried. It just popped into my head. Um, but maybe inserting the audio would work better with these auto advancing slides than the video. So Anyway, um, would love to hear the tribe uh, weigh in on that one. Casey, did you have anything else to, to add on that? No, good thought on the audio. I'll be curious to hear if that works, if she's using it for just like a transition. But um, I haven't been doing much on iPads in a while. So I'm really curious to those who are using Google on the iPads on a daily basis. I bet they have some great ideas. So be sure to share those with us, um, either using the GT Tribe hashtag or go to googleteachertribe.com and leave us some feedback there. Now, 
I have a message here from Wendy Cohen in New York, and she left us a SpeakPipe message about Google Chrome, a special little tip. So before I let Wendy share her amazing tip, I want to talk a little bit about how this tip works. So Y'all know I love me some Google Chrome. It is just the end all be all of browsers for me. I can't tell you how many tabs and windows I have open right now. It's kind of embarrassing. So um, yes, I am a tab hoarder and a Chrome addict, but I love Chrome and I have too many Google accounts to even count. So being able to manage those is so much easier inside Google Chrome using something called Chrome profiles so that I have one window logged into one account and another window logged into another account and I'm not dealing with a you don't have permission problem. So if you're new to this and you're like, what is she talking about? This was like a game changer for me. When I learned this tip, this was like the biggest tip I had ever encountered. And I share it any chance that I get. So I have a link in the show notes to my video tutorial about how to set up these Chrome profiles and also how to clean up the bad way. So if you've been doing that whole ad account thing, um, you're going to stop that as soon as as soon as you learn this method, because that's the wrong way. In fact, my video is called You're Doing It Wrong. So um, just because that's how most people are are managing it. So there is a better way. So Wendy discovered this fabulous little tip by right-clicking in Google Chrome. So take it away, Wendy. Hi, Matt and Casey. This is Wendy calling from New York. First, love the show. Thanks for all the great information that you provide. I wanted to share today a Chrome hack that I discovered recently that has been saving me so much time. On the show, you've spoken before about using different profiles, different people inside of Chrome, where you have your different Gmail accounts logged into different windows, and that makes it so that you don't have to constantly be signing out of one account, signing into another account. But recently, I discovered, and I don't know if this is new, but I discovered that when you right-click on a link in Chrome, it not only gives you the option to open in a new tab, open in a new window, but it actually gives you an option that says Open Link As and allows you to choose which Chrome profile you want to use to open that link. So if I know that I need my school email to open something, and I happen to be on a personal um, Chrome window, I can do open link as and use the correct account, and it saves me so much time. I don't have to get that message that says, oh, you don't have access, you need to request permission. I can just open it using the correct account. So I hope that others find this useful also. And again, thank you for all the great information on your show. Okay, mic drop moment, right? This is awesome. So yeah, you can find so many things hidden when you right click, no matter what you're doing. So sometimes I'm just clicking around just to see what things can do. And yes, you can choose open as and open it in a new window, in a new tab, in incognito. And yes, you can even choose to open it in a different profile. So you don't have to constantly keep toggling. You can just do that from the link. So that's a fabulous tip. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Wendy. Wow, we have shared so much in this episode. I think I'm still trying to catch my breath, but we are going to wrap things up with a couple of shares from the blogs. And I want to share an updated blog post on how to become a Google certified trainer. And this includes my infographic and a walkthrough video. So when people ask me, hey, Casey, how did you 
get to learn so much about Google and talk so much about Google and train so much about Google. This is how. (laughs) The number one certification for me has always been Certified Trainer. It has done more for my learning and my career than anything else. And if you're interested, even if you don't really know what the certifications are quite yet, and this might be something you aspire to, This post will walk you through everything you need to know to get there, to see what you need to work on, to see, you know, possibly building your resume and doing some other things. So um, just some things to think about if you've ever thought about becoming a Google certified trainer. It's a wonderful global family of trainers who share all kinds of resources. And yes, we get nerdy and googly all the time. And then I've got one also, this one relates to Google Drawings. I love, love, love Google Drawings. Um, something that I use on a very, very regular basis. It's kind of like your um, a digital poster board or a digital single sheet of paper that you can create really cool images on. And we recently had a Twitter chat, a, a ditch book Twitter chat. This is um, the Twitter hashtag that we use for all things ditch that textbook. And every Thursday at 10 p.m. Central all the way to 7 p.m. Pacific, we chat for 30 minutes about a specific topic. And this week it was about Google Drawings. And what's great about this is that the people that chat share all of these great ideas and resources and links and tips. And so we've gathered all of those together on a blog post called 35 Creative Google Drawings Activities for Classes. So if you want to go check out what everybody was sharing, that's there. And of course, if you do Twitter, we'd love to see you in one of these ditch book Twitter chats on Thursday evenings. If you're not sure how to do Twitter or how to do a Twitter chat, um, we've also created this free ebook that you can download on how uh, educators use Twitter and how to do Twitter chats. And that link as well as the link to the blog post, those are both also at the show notes at googleteacherdrive.com slash 83. I love chatting with Joe. I love all of the stuff that he thinks of and the way that he sees the world and everything. We hope that you love this episode as much as we did. Um, So please do hit us up on the GT Tribe hashtag on Twitter. Leave us a voice message at googleteachertribe.com so we can get your question or your tip or trick or your little hack out to the tribe and so we can hear from you. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening to the show. We would also love it if you would click that subscribe button and leave leave us a review that helps other teachers find and follow the tribe and join this amazing group of educators. So we thank you so much for letting us come into your day. We look forward to learning more with you in the upcoming episodes. Yes, we will see you on the next episode of the Google Teacher Tribe. Bye y'all. Thanks for listening to the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Keep up with every new episode by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and by visiting googleteachertribe.com. Get in on the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTTribe. Until next time, keep harnessing the G Suite power, and may the Googles be with you. Hi, my name is Casey and I'm too loud. (laughs) (laughs) No, only when you've had too much sweet tea. Oh, Lord. Yeah.
thank you once again for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. For the latest on Matt Miller, be sure to visit his website, ditchthattextbook.com. For the latest on Casey Bell, be sure to visit her website, shakeuplearning.com. And to keep up with me and get the latest in education technology, be sure to visit my website, chrisnessy.com. And I invite you to listen to the House of EdTech podcast.